We pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, part of the United States, some people call flyover country. They don't see these areas as exciting or interesting or even worth a visit. You have to fly over them to get to some place that's more exciting, more interesting, like New York or Los Angeles, or even Portland, if exciting equals weird. <laughs> Without stepping on too many toes, I'd like to suggest that perhaps the four top flyover states would be the Dakotas, Nebraska, and Kansas. They form a line kind of in the middle. You can't get from here to there in the United States without flying over them. Portions of the Bible, though, too, are kind of flyover spaces, flyover books, if you will, not exciting or interesting or seemingly worthwhile. Perhaps Leviticus is one of those for you with its priestly jargon and sacrifice and blood, or Numbers with all its, well, numbers. First Chronicles is right up there on my list. It starts with nine chapters of genealogy. Names I struggle to pronounce and very few which I recognize. And then of course, there are the Old Testament laments. Laments begin very early in the Old Testament. Rebecca cries, if it is this way, why should I live? As the unborn Esau and Jacob struggled in her womb. Moses cried out, oh Lord, why have you mistreated this people? And Gideon complained, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? 65 of the 150 Psalms are Psalms of Lament. And then there's an entire book in the Old Testament, Lamentations. Heart-wrenching questions permeate these laments. Why did this happen? Is there any order in the world? Where is God in all of this? Laments regard the abyss as bottomless and never-ending. Hopelessness defines everything. Our collective response to laments, fly over. We'd rather live by words like keep your chin up, play through the pain, think positively. Big boys don't cry, and according to Brooks and Dunn, and neither do cowgirls either. But don't tell that to Job. After the numbing shock of seven days and nights of silence, as with a massive shriek, chapter three breaks the silence. Job uses words like darkness, shadow, night, blackness, death, grave, clouds. Five times in the chapter, Job cries out, why? Why did I not perish at birth? Why were there knees to receive me? Why was I not hidden in the ground like a stillborn child? Why is light given to those in misery? Why is life given to a man? Job ends his lament with these words. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. After chapters 1 and 2, Job's livelihood is in ruins. His family is dead, his health is broken, and he is crushed. He's become an object of horror, a sickening sight. In chapters 1 and 2, Job is the model of godliness and patience. But now in chapter 3, Job lets it all hang out. He looked at all his hardship and hell and refused to fly over. We have much to learn from Job. 
And the first thing we can learn is we cope with sorrow by going through it. I wish I could tell you that we could get past sorrow by going over it, around it, tunneling under it, or taking a giant leap over it. But that's simply not true. We cope with sorrow by going through it. Notice I'm not saying we get past our sorrow. If sorrow is deep enough in this life, we'll never get past it. But we can get through it. It's tough, though, real tough. So we stuff it, we deny it, we try to survive life's losses without lamenting. Grief is unpleasant and messy and ugly, so we avoid it at all costs. There are things that happen to us when we're children, things that happen to us when we're at school, things that happen to us in our marriage, and we haven't grieved over the pain, and so we're stuck. Some of us get stuck at 14 or 28 or 32 because we don't grieve a major loss in our lives. And we wonder why we have anxieties and phobias and fears and low self-esteem. Because we haven't learned to lament. Unresolved, unmourned grief causes a boatload of problems. So many are sick and all kinds of bad behavior because they never grieved an alcoholic father or an unloving mother or mistreatment or prejudice or bigotry rather than actually feeling it, actually grieving over it, actually going through a season of mourning. It's easier to just put our heads down and ignore it. Damn the torpedoes, full steam ahead. Doctors tell us that a lot of illness can actually come from unresolved grief, unresolved regrets, unresolved sentiments. That pain in the back or that pain in the rear or my aching neck, a lot of that's caused because we take emotions inside of us that God never intended us to keep. He wants us to let it out. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So who gets comforted? Those who have the courage to mourn. What is Jesus saying? Well, cover-ups don't get comforted. If I cover up the pain, if I ignore the pain, if I deny the pain, if I pretend it didn't exist, if I'm too afraid of my emotions, I don't get comforted. David prays in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Note the phrase, walk through. We walk through it. We don't go around it. We don't tunnel underneath it. We don't try and take a flying leap over it. We walk through it. And how? Well, care. I'm not a big fan of acronyms, honestly. But this one's biblical. Care. See, we complain. It's okay not to be okay. In chapter 3, Job is so low that he feels death is better than life. He complains, why should I have to go on living if living involves so much pain? A. Appeal. The second thing I do is appeal to God's nature. I appeal to God's character, who he is, his attributes, the nature of God, his love and his compassion. I complain, I appeal, and then are. I remind God of his promises. I remind God of his truth. I remind God of what he said in my baptism. I remind God of his reputation. And finally, E, I express trust in God's wisdom and the things I don't understand. No matter who it is in the Bible, when they lament, 
to God, they follow this pattern. I can take you to a number of psalms and prayers throughout the scripture, and it's always the same way. Complaining, appealing, reminding, expressing. That's how we care for ourselves. So number one, we go through sorrow, and number two, we survive sorrow by looking past it. I'm not saying we wallow in our weeping. We go through it, but we also look past it. We look past our sorrow to Jesus, who knows what it is like to lament. Oh God, does Jesus know? Jesus complained and appealed and reminded and expressed trust in his God. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I'm silent. Verses 1 and 2. I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Verses 6 to 8. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. Verse 14. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 18. They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Verse 18. Look past your sorrow and look to Jesus. One of my all-time favorite Bible verses is Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. As your pastor who loves you and cares for you, I encourage you, weep during the long nights of life. Refuse to fly over the pain, but also affirm that joy will come in the morning. It will become because of the first Easter morning. The glorious dawn when our Lord's own lament was turned into a song of everlasting deliverance. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.